Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Digital Health Unfiltered. Uh, I'm Siddhartha Srivastava, of course, joined by Nick Jeans. Hi, Nick. So on July 20th, um, Apple came out with a paper. Um, it was titled, Empowering People to Live a Healthier Day. Innovation using Apple technology to support personal health, research, and care. So immediately, you and I poured into it so that we can bring some insights to our audience. Yes, and then all our plans were thrown asunder because a day later, Amazon announced that they would buy one medical. It's the dog days of summer, it's late July, but suddenly there's a lot of digital health news. Indeed, indeed. And since our audience is well-versed in health tech, it would be a travesty if we don't share our thoughts on that Amazon acquisition. Uh, Of course- No, they must know what we think. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, Twitterverse is full of stories of doom and gloom and glory, of course, depending on who you follow about the deal. So um, so let's get started. You know, let's start with the the Apple paper. It stands at 59 pages and covers a lot of areas. Um, Nick, what are your early thoughts on this? Yeah, it's not like Apple to release a white paper, I think. It's, uh, you know, I I think they like to let the products do the talking and they, uh, you know, they don't really announce new products uh, before they're ready to ship either. Um, You don't normally see a lot of white papers except in like security protocols and things like that. So I got to wonder what they were doing here? Was this a letter for investors to kind of assuage them? Because I I can't see consumers really jumping on this and it doesn't necessarily sell more watches or anything. So I I don't know. Uh, Apple has a good deal to be proud of, but they have been kind of quiet on the uh, healthcare front lately. And when you look at Amazon and, and Google and Oracle buying Cerner and stuff, maybe people are wondering like, gosh, what is Apple up to? And this this white paper is sort of an attempt to uh, make it look like they're doing something. Yeah, you know, I'll kind of leave with the positive here. Um, I think as I was reading it, there was a lot of focus on personal health, just a reminder that we are all about personal health, we're all about privacy, etc. And And I think they're really sort of slowly, but deliberately carving out a good niche area in, in that space. Having said that, <laughs> this reads kind of like a FOMO paper. You know, there's a fear of missing out uh, from all the press that Google's and the Microsoft's and the Amazon's and others are sort of garnering. Um, and strangely, it kind of felt like the audience was more internal than external. You know, to your point about, you know, was this to investors showing them they're actually doing something in this area or to their board or to the internal teams to kind of pump them up? It seems a little scattered as I was going through it. Um, and there wasn't really a wow feeling coming out of reading this. Frankly speaking, if, for the audience, if I can summarize in a not so sort of uh, yeah, clean manner, <laughs> the, the 59-page report in a few sentences it would really be this. While the world is making big, bold moves to fix healthcare, we, Apple, remain focused on you, the person, the patient. That's number one. Number two, remember the watch you've been wearing? Well, it is tracking a lot of health data, and we will do more. We are in no hurry. 
those iPads, well, they're still around. And then finally, the research kit has done a few studies. I know it sounds corny, but that's the sense that I got. And I wrote them down as I was like reading through it. Yeah. yeah there, there, are, there are definitely referencing some studies and some uh, integrations and some third-party partnerships that have been around for years. It's not fresh news. Um, having said that, their position is still pretty good. You know, it, it, we can't dismiss that they have, they've sold over 100 million Apple Watches. That is a very capable biometric device that's on a lot of wrists. And it's not just heart rate detection. It does great motion detection. And they're beefing up their capabilities for gait analysis. And they do fall detection, which is a big deal, probably a much bigger deal than, than AFib detection is that it can detect a fall. You can set it up so that it will actually call, uh, you know, a 911 on your behalf if, uh, if you don't respond after like a crash or something, which is powerful stuff, uh, way better than any medical alert kind of bracelet ever was. So uh, good for them. Their heart rate detection is, uh, you know, approved uh, for detecting AFib. And I do think they're they have probably bigger plans with heart rate variability and, and like uh, VO2 max and so forth for, uh, for fitness. But uh, when you see, you see this white paper come out so soon before a new Apple watch is expected like this fall, it makes me think that there's no big new sensors that are coming uh, on the horizon. Otherwise they would kind of be holding their, their ammunition. And look, they, they should be proud that they've made clinical research much easier with research kit which came out seven years ago now. And they have made sharing healthcare data a lot easier and, and safe. But it does kind of feel like they're on the outside, that they're facilitating healthcare instead of disrupting it or, or, or you know, really stepping into the thick of it. Do you, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I do, you know, after reading this paper, I did feel and I was reminded that there's, there are a few missed opportunities here. And if I had to sort of sort of think through them, you know, one is they're not really creating a marketplace where all this sensor data can be aggregated or shared or some analysis can be done on this. You know, it's you're right, it's been done at a research kit level, but it's and but it's very sort of siloed. There's you know, they have an opportunity to create an entire ecosystem where, you know, I would love to contribute that data to some, because I know that Apple will be very, very careful in protecting my privacy and my identity and so on. So suddenly they have that trust and you need to be able to do something from an aggregation perspective. So that's one. Um, you know, from what, what I also hear from speaking to our colleagues in the industry, the collaborations that they're striking, you know, they tend to be very hesitant in nature. You know, it's almost like someone's going to ask them for a backstage pass to meet with Tim Cook or something. Like, you know, it's always, you know, oh, well, we can do this, but here are the guardrails and here's everything else. And by the way, let's buy more iPads. Um, you know, it just I think that, that that's an area that they need to sort of fix. They're not leading with that strength up here. You know, as you mentioned, Research Kit was launched back in 2015. And like one would have hoped that the reach that Apple has, there would have been hundreds, if not thousands of studies. But... From what I read and what we scan the market, you know, there's just a handful. Even if you factor in so many that we don't know of and partner with different hospitals and you know, organizations, you probably can say that there's less than 100. And that just is such a small scale compared to where Apple is just from an ecosystem perspective. 
Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, I feel finally, and, and I'll stop yapping there, is, um, you know, I, I think in a way that they're, they're kind of boxed into a corner with sort of their superpower, which is very individual, personal based, but that also works as their, as their kryptonite. So what I mean is that you know, they're so laser focused on the individual and their privacy that there is a loss of any collective effort here. The entire effort relies, relies more on me as an engaged customer taking things in my, in my own hands. Yeah, I, and I wonder if like they, with their expertise in user interface and, and facilitating secure data exchange, they, they could try to you know, build a, an Uber portal that would just uh, you know, collect all your health data and show it to you and give you AI algorithms to interpret it for you. Or they, they could do a lot more uh, in this space and uh, they could leverage their position. But for some reason, they've, they've chosen not to. Still, they have the partnerships there with the EHR vendors, with the prestigious healthcare institutions. So um, I guess they can always move into that area if they wanted to. Yeah, I agree. Well, so, you know, to our audience, I'll say, if you want to read the 59-page paper and let us know any thoughts that we missed, happy to do that. But that kind of seems to be the, the summary. Um, you know, for anybody who's in, in digital health and has been tracking this industry, I don't think you will find any major surprises here. Uh, a lot of references to some of their marquee hospitals, of course, uh, you know, uh, Oshner sort of features many times, you know, some of the studies that, you know, we have known of in our past organizations is there. Nick, I understand um, folks from your current organization have been mentioned. Lots Sorry. of prestigious organizations and many friends <laughs> and <laughs> colleagues, yeah. Yeah. So, so now let's let's talk about the Amazon acquisition. Um, you know, clearly the buzz. Uh, clearly, everyone has an opinion uh, on this acquisition. So it kind of only makes sense that you know, even though it's happened just a few days ago, that we offer our unfiltered pers- perspective to it. What do you say, Nate? Oh gosh, this is going to be so unfiltered that uh, we are still digesting it. <laughs> but uh, where is Karidi when you need him? <laughs> Um, it's fun to, you know, comment on big Amazon multi-billion-dollar acquisitions, but um, this comes a year after Haven was dissolved, uh, three years after PillPack was acquired. What does it mean? Um, look, I think that Amazon acquisitions carry less weight and generate less buzz than they used to, and maybe it's just because it's a hot July day, and <laughs> it just. I keep thinking about Whole Foods, which was like five years ago now. I kind of remember Amazon buying Whole Foods was like going to change the world. And now Amazon was moving from warehouses to your corner grocery store. And this was going to change the way we shop. And even with the pandemic, I don't think there's been a whole lot of change. And my Whole Foods experience is essentially the same, except now I'm showing my Amazon Prime QR code. Like that's, uh, if you had told me five years ago that that would be the impact of Amazon, I, I would I'd be disappointed. Yeah, no, that, 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 is, that is true. And, you know, you're right. I mean, when Haven was announced, you know, there was a lot of sort of movement and, and, and action. You know, at that time, many stocks went down. Uh, this time after this announcement, CBS and Teladoc stocks went down. And, uh, and frankly, when Haven was shut down, many stocks went up, like I think, United, Humana, and CVS stocks rose uh, a few percentage points when that sort of dissolved. So 
Interesting. You know, I guess it's right. Nobody really knows. Uh, it's too early to, to tell, but, you know, here's how I'm thinking about it. If you look at the press release itself, you know, it's, it's fairly generic. It's about changing healthcare, a lot of customer service, you know, very similar to what was being said at the, at the time of sort of Haven. Um, what I do think from, a, from, from one perspective, though, is Haven was looking at this from a different side of the spectrum, the patient journey spectrum, which was very risk-based, claims-based, uh, cost reduction. And, and that didn't work out probably because of all the complexities, maybe some of the pushback that they got from the incumbents, the big behemoths you know, who had the money and the lobbying power to push back. And now they're starting from the, the other end of the spectrum, which is primary care. You know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's, that's where when you have an ear infection or a throat ache or need, a, need for, a, for a telehealth call, that is where you're starting. So I, I feel this is Amazon's second attempt to attack the issue from the other end of the spectrum by going to sort of the mass volume primary care sort of business. Yeah. And, you know, it makes sense. They've got PillPack. They've got the prescription, uh, the pharmacy delivery uh, aspect. They've got Amazon.care, their telemedicine service. It makes sense to have like a high-end sort of primary care service. You can do a lot with just telemedicine and prescriptions, but uh, having an in-person opportunity to do physical exam, meet people, swab people, uh, and maybe x-rays and, and blood work, like you can do a lot of healthcare that way. And so that's, uh, that's good. Um, this might kind of further isolate hospitals and kind of make them just more procedure oriented. Um, and the risk there is that these big hospital networks and systems are going to suddenly become dependent on Amazon to send them patients when they do need a procedure, when they do need surgery. Um, which, uh, you know, is not a good position for these hospitals to be in. No, that, that is true. Um, and I think everybody needs to be sort of mindful of what's, what's coming down the pike. Now, there was something in the press release that did catch my attention and kind of got me excited. Um, you know, it said um, healthcare is high on the list of experiences that need reinvention. And we have talked about it and we live and breathe this sort of every single day. I mean, this was the exciting part. I mean, healthcare is so vast that even if Amazon were to show a new direction in better customer care, I feel that's going to move the needle a lot. Now, I think a lot about what is the ROI that any health system gets in having better customer service? Because when you're thinking inside a health system or some, some practice where people come in need, you know, they... There is this understanding that they're coming in because they are sick and we can fix them. So who cares if they have to wait 30 minutes, 45 minutes in the crummy waiting room? Who cares if they have to fill out the same form like six different times? Because the end result is a satisfaction, um, hopefully, from, from healthcare, especially from doctors like you, Nick, um, mm -hmm. that they walk away feeling so much good that the pain of you know, filling out paperwork, the clunkiness of the system is uh, is not there, um, and you know they don't feel it. And I, I, nobody's been able to justify all the investments. And I feel that if people in health systems see that Amazon is investing in that area, 
that is going to nudge them much, much faster. This whole movement, patient experience, digital front doors will have a leap. And that is my optimistic sort of take on it. And I'm going to sort of stick by it till I'm proven wrong. But, uh, but that's that. And I also feel that maybe, you know, data collection and analytics will be a much bigger part than just sort of purely customer experience. What do you think? Yeah. I, look, Amazon has uh, done wonders for raising expectations for customer service and, and exceeding them. So, you know, if they if they can take a pretty good operation like One Medical, One Medical has a lot of very satisfied patients. If, if they can, you know, keep that and help it scale, God bless them. That, that'd be great. Uh, a lot of people are, are very frustrated with making appointments and having to wait. So maybe Amazon can... Uh, you know, help with that. But as for the data and analytics, you know, this is a pretty regulated industry and even healthcare players and, and like retail companies like CVS, for instance, I'm echoing uh, comments from Brendan Keeler, but like CVS has to keep its retail data distinct from its pharmacy data. And there's national and, and or federal and state regulations that, uh, you know, ensure that. So I'm not sure that Amazon is going to suddenly acquire all this Medical One data. It's funny too, because uh, Google uses Medical One for their employees. And now you got to wonder if Google is wondering, <laughs> like, yeah. are, 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 is our one of our biggest competitors going to suddenly have our healthcare data and be able to exploit it? But no, I, I'd like to think no. Yeah, that's true. I, I read that somewhere as well. It's, it's funny. You know, I think, we should put a pin on this thing and revisit it in a year or two years, uh, see where this lands. I'm sure there'll be mini leaks um, like they did for Haven. Um, to our audience, I would say definitely there's there's a lot of sort of uh, thoughts out there. Some of the leading voices that I follow in this area are Chrissy Farr, Nikhil Krishnan, Jay Parkinson, uh, and even Scott Galloway, um, a professor at NYU who speaks uh, and, and spoke sort of about this. So clearly a lot of ideas out there as you sort of think through what this means for you, for your industry, for your organization. Yeah. And, and Brendan Keeler, like I mentioned, uh, Nikhil Krishnan is hilarious and just follow him for the memes alone. But is it prediction time, Sadipto? Let's go for it. Okay. First, I have a short-term prediction. Like I mentioned before, this year, the new Apple Watch, what is Series 7, 8? I forget which number we're on, but uh, I'm predicting no new biometric sensors because I don't think they would have come out with this white paper if they had a new temperature sensor or a new glucometer that was like ready to go. I think uh, so. I think we can expect, and we'll have an answer in just a couple months because it's usually announced in September. And my perennial Apple prediction yeah, is that um, they are not going to buy, Apple will not buy Epic or any EMR. I have been making this prediction for <laughs> 10 years and I have never been wrong. <laughs> I, I, I can go into detail about why, but uh, it's just not a business that they want to be. How about you? Well, folks, you heard it here. You definitely heard it here. Um, what about Amazon buying a hospital? Is that when uh, real disruption happens? Uh, yeah, gosh, what what did we see that, uh, you know, Amazon is slowly building up all the pieces to be like its own healthcare system. Um, was, I forgot who said that. But, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, my prediction is that, uh, you know, I think uh, I'll be able to use my Prime membership for the next telehealth call that I have. That's about all <laughs> I can come up with. 
but um, you know, maybe sort of changing tone a little bit and thinking a little bit more philosophically, you know, I do want to pause and acknowledge the fact that anytime Amazon does anything, it kind of creates a splash. And as our listeners think of this, I would like to reflect on what are individual reaction and answers on why that happens. You know, are we continuing in healthcare to look for that knight in shining armor that'll come and save us all the complexities, the challenges, and so on? Is it also a sign that we're giving up and then we look to these tech giants to solve healthcare? I don't know, kind of philosophical there, Nick, but I'll, I'll, I'll end on that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember hearing Todd Park speak uh, more than 10 years ago now. Uh, he was the chief technical, office, technical officer for HHS. And it was inspiring. And he was saying how we're going to innovate our way out of the healthcare crisis and meaningful use was going to drive adoption of EMR. And we were going to, you know, have interoperability and data exchange. So a lot of those things have come to pass. And yet healthcare is still so expensive, so frustrating, so so difficult to, to navigate uh, and, and unequal and, and uh, just not where we were hoping it would be. So I, I think, and, and you don't hear any big policy initiatives coming out of this administration, this Congress. So I, I don't know where change is going to come from. And maybe the tech giants are, are uh, going to help us. <laughs> well, it'll be your 21st century CureSac. It's going to cure everything, Nick. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good all today. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't mention it once. So we had to. Well, anyway, thank you so much, everyone. Um, and that is probably a good point to, to close. That is it for this episode of Digital Health Unfiltered. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.